0: Now, let's look together at today's text. I'm in Luke chapter 10. I want to begin in verse 38. As we're talking about the one necessary thing, as Mike mentioned earlier, we're talking through a series of four lessons today and this month on how we worship God in holy expressions. Today, we're going to narrow down to you and me having private time with the lord just our our private time of worship before him and how essential that is now as they were on their way jesus entered a village and a woman named martha welcomed him into her home and she had a sister called mary who sat at the lord's feet and listened to his teaching but martha was distracted with much serving and she went up and said lord Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Lord, as we have read your word as you have given it to us and now are teaching us by your Holy Spirit to just think on it, dwell on it, would you give us the truth for our lives that we might live in a way of worship to you, recognizing the one necessary thing and moving towards that. I pray that you would help us to receive it in heart and mind, but that we would have it with practicality throughout our days as well. In the name of Jesus, amen. Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, and he found their home to be a respite for him. In fact, he lived with that family in Bethany from time to time. It was a place situated just a couple of miles to the east of Jerusalem, so it was a very convenient location when the Lord was there in the holy city. The countryside must absolutely have been stunning back then, the rolling hills, the terraced fields, the the occasional orchard that you would find, the olive groves and the fig trees that were prolific throughout that region, of course, grapevines as well. And to the east was the slope um, of the Mount of Olives, east of Eastern Jerusalem. And in between Jerusalem and Bethany, this slope would come down to the Kidron Valley and Jesus would just make his way up that little area to where Bethany was and back down into the holy city. Now, if you know Bethany, the word itself means the house of figs. So this was an area that was prolific with figs. It was known for that in its area. It had natural springs as well, which meant there was a good, refreshing water source for the residents there and for all their crops. And so it was an excellent reprieve. However, Jesus did not go to Bethany because of the scenery nor the location. Instead, he went because there were people there that he deeply loved. People that the Bible mentions to us like Simon, the leper, who obviously is not a leper anymore when Jesus met him. He transformed his life. And Simon was dedicated to him, would host Jesus in his home for dinners And, of course, Martha and Mary were so given to the Lord because they had watched him resurrect or raise up Lazarus, their brother, from the dead. So these four folks were totally dedicated, devotedly so, to Jesus and he with them. They heard his teaching and they believed his words. They experienced how he could give them life very radical life from the grave or transforming life in, in the way that they would live and express their being. And so they had great friendship and appreciation for Jesus Christ. It ran so deeply that they always showed adoration and affection for him and welcomed him. Now, Luke makes a very simple statement, and if we don't just stop and think about this, we might just let it pass by Luke just simply says that Martha welcomed him into her home. But behind that, welcoming him into her home is a whole lot of stuff. And if you look at the totalities of the gospel, you get little snippets of that, how deeply engaged they were. So let's just take a moment and kind of unpack that that idea of her welcoming him into her home. Three things stand out to me. Number one, Martha and her family believed that Jesus was the Son of God. They believed him to be the very Son of God. They had experienced his power and they had experienced that power for their own life and trusted him even in their death. Jesus had made great teachings to them and then showed that in a radical way, as you know. He says to to Martha as she went out to meet him outside of the area of Bethany when Lazarus, her brother, had died, Jesus said in this interaction, Hey, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. Boy, I've told that a hundred times in funerals because that's our great hope. Though we die, we shall yet live. I can assure you that by Christ's word, when you and I take our last breath, we take our first in the presence of Jesus. We're engaged with him to be absent in this body, certainly to be present with him. So though Lazarus may die, He shall live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha, he says? And she responds to him. Listen, this is a big word. Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now, where else have you heard that? There was a declaration by Peter that once Peter recognized who Jesus Christ actually is, he's the Son of the living God, he could not help but declare that. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Remember what Jesus responded. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is heaven, he has revealed this to you. So this is a spiritually significant truth that people don't get on their own. You're not going to come to that conclusion on your own. I'm not going to woo you to understand that. You're not going to one day just get it. It is that God treasures it into your heart. That God sovereignly places that truth in you so that you might receive it by grace and faith and declare it. So that's exactly what Martha is doing. She is declaring that Christ himself is the Son of God. And that confession of faith affirms her faith in Christ, the one who would give her saving grace. Hey, have you come to the point of recognizing who Jesus Christ is? I'm not talking just about a historical figure that brought transformation to the world. I'm talking about him being the son of God. Have you come to that understanding? And if so, God is already moving in your heart. He's already moving in your life. It's a great place for you to be. Take the steps forward in faith in that. Declare him, be obedient to him, surrender your life to him because he is the son of God. Second thing that that stands out to me in this Why they would treasure him and welcome him into their home is that they believed Jesus to be the Messiah and that he was to be worshipped. They believed him to be the Messiah, so they worshipped him. Now, at a dinner honoring Jesus, the men reclined at table. Uh, That seems odd to us. Even that phrase, reclined at table, seems a little bit odd to us because we always think about sitting at the table. Uh, But there were no chairs at the table. The table is, of course, uh, very low to the ground, and it was meant to be that you would actually recline. Now, I've had some warm banana pudding after a big meal, and it will put you in a stupid state to the point that you want to recline there on the floor. Uh, Maybe that's what was going on. Maybe that the lamb of the day, the unleavened bread of the day would just put you into a place of reclining, maybe dipping in olive oil with that fresh baked bread, boy, that'll put you into a recline, won't it? And so they're just reclining at table, because that's the customary practice of the day, and as they were reclining at table, if you remember, Martha's sister, Mary, demonstrated great humble devotion to the Lord. She went and pulled a a very expensive ointment made of pure nard, and it was um, a year's salary nearly. 300 denarius, 300 days of a wage that somebody would make. And she takes that very costly ointment and she begins to anoint Jesus' feet. And then she is in an extravagant act of worship, offering to the Lord this moment of worship. She even takes her hair and wipes his feet with her hair. In other words, she is devoting herself totally to him because she has recognized That throughout the scripture, all that has been promised about the Messiah is now before her. That Jesus is the revealed Messiah. He is the chosen one of God. And there is nothing that she would hold back in showing her adoration to him and her worship to him. So our worship and devotion and adoration to Christ comes from our understanding that he is divine, he is the Son of God, and he is the Messiah, the promised one, who alone could rescue us from our desperate plight. And so we worship him. It's not something that you have to do. It's something that from your heart you long to do. Regardless of what others may say about how kooky you look, you'll give him everything in your life because he has given himself of you uh, to you. And the third thing that stood out to me is just contemplating, reflecting this eagerness for them to bring Christ into the home is they believe Jesus was worthy of their devotion and service, no matter the cost. No matter the cost. And I'm not talking about just Expensive nard. I'm not talking about anointment. I'm talking about life itself. They were willing to associate with Jesus, knowing that it would bring persecution and possible death. Now we we all cheer the narrative of Lazarus when Jesus calls for him and Lazarus, you come out of that tomb. We all cheer that moment. I've been to that place. I've I've looked in the tomb. I cheered in that moment. But I can tell you that Lazarus coming out of that tomb found victory in Christ, but he was on the run from that day forward. Because the Pharisees were not just after killing Jesus, they wanted to kill Lazarus too. As folks came out to look, let me see this guy. I know this guy. I I know he was dead. I I was there at his funeral. Let me see where he is no longer in that tomb. And when they would see Lazarus, many believed And so they wanted to kill him. we got to get rid of this this witness source. So it kind of gives you the fervor that was against the people who were closely associated with Jesus. In fact, if you remember, before leaving Bethany, before Jesus actually raises Lazarus, he says, oh, we need to go there. The word had come that Lazarus was sick, and Jesus tries to explain to them, ah, his sickness, yes, he's sick, but he's asleep. Well, Lord, if he's asleep, he's going he's to wake up again. He's like, no, I'm not talking about that sleep. He's dead. But so that the glory of God would be known, Jesus tarries a couple of extra days before he goes that way, and then it's a two-day journey, so it's four days by the time he arrives. And remember, when he gets there, he says... Um, Roll that stone away. Oh, Lord, no, he stinketh. That's what King James said, he stinketh. That takes stink to another level, doesn't it? (laughs) But if you remember, before they left, the disciples are saying, now, Lord, I don't know about going there. Because you do not remember the last time where they tried to stone you to death. You remember that, Lord? And Thomas Boy, we give him a bad rap. But Thomas, with great devotion, says, let's go, that we may die with him. So they understood the significant risk of going to Bethany, just two miles from Jerusalem, where the Pharisees are centrally located, and they know that they're looking for Jesus, looking to kill him. They had already tried it. It would have happened, except that it wasn't time for the glory of God to be fully revealed. So here's Martha, Mary, and Lazarus saying, come. Come come into our home. They must know that those who are connecting closely to Christ are putting themselves at risk in doing so. If you're going to aid him, potentially you're going to have the wrath of the leaders coming against you as well. But yet Jesus was a top priority in their lives. If they died, so be it. Because Jesus was the top priority in their lives. Now, our belief and dedication to the Lord and his word in that we too should welcome him in worship into our homes, making him the very top priority because he is worthy of our devotion, is he not? Because he is the son of God, because he is the Messiah, he's the one who's rescued us. He's the one that has given us life. He is, he is top priority in our lives So in today's text of Luke 10, we can easily see why Martha and Mary were devoted to him. But I want you to see how they express this. Because Martha sees Jesus coming and she's thinking, the Lord is here. I'm sure he needs a good dinner. Let me me get this thing together. And she puts on this like southern hospitality mode with a type A personality. And she's going to serve her Lord. And Mary is thinking, oh, the Lord is here. And let me just sit at his feet and let me just listen to him. Now, I want you to hear because, uh, again, sometimes we kind of pick sides in this. Both of these women are incredibly devoted to the Lord. You shouldn't doubt Martha's devotion to Christ just because she sort of gets this nature wrong about what all is happening. She was inviting him into the house. She wanted him. She wanted to serve him. So her hospitality kicks into gear, and she starts using the talents and the gifts that God had given her. She focuses on serving Jesus and the disciples, and she seems to be this kind of get-it-done gal, doesn't she? She, She's not looking for anything other than to accomplish, and the accomplishment is to serve the Lord and bring comfort to him while he is in her home. She had probably tidied up the guest room, and I would guess she's like my wife surveyed the pantry real, real quick. See what mad dash she needs to take out to the market or expresses that to somebody else to do that. And then she starts gathering everything in and starts cooking. Maybe she said, now make sure you get some of that dried fish from Magdala. He loves that. And bring that in and let's start preparing this meal. And she's preparing the table and she's preparing the guest room for him. And then she's doing all these things in devotion to the Lord. And then there's Mary just sitting at his feet sitting at his feet, listening. Now, according to the times and the custom of the first century, Mary had no business sitting at the feet of a teaching rabbi. That was was not common. In fact, it was against the rabbinical teachings that any woman would be taught the Torah. She had no business being in the place where the Torah was being taught Where a rabbi was communicating. In fact, if you were among the few women who were the elite, the rich, the wealthy of the day, maybe your father or maybe your husband would privately teach the Torah, but it would not be in public. So the fact that Mary is there at the feet of a teaching rabbi is a crucial, a crucial detail. Because you got Martha being busy doing what Martha sees her role. To be, to be devoted to the Lord. And you've got Mary sitting where she should not be. The younger sister always gets the breaks, doesn't she? I didn't have one of those, but I had a younger brother. Always got the breaks. My youngest always got the breaks, according to my two other sons. Mary is that one. So, Martha is obviously very distracted. That's what the Lord says. She's distracted with much service. Now, we shouldn't think, again, that Martha was not inclined to the Lord's teaching. She absolutely was. She was given to him. She was given to the truths that he had expressed. She saw his life. No doubt she had interest in what he was teaching Probably she was thinking, oh, I'd love to be hearing the Lord right now, but I can't. I've got a meal to prepare. I've got a room to set. And from reading the, the narrative, we can kind of feel the tension there, can't we? Sort of feel this uh, sense of, of tension that is rising. Her love was no less for the Lord than her other sister and brother. And she might have thought, am I not showing devotion and love to the master as well? Am I not showing him the way I love him by serving him? And the more time that passed, the more anger flushed up to the point that it just bowls over, reached a bowling point. And she goes into that room and she interrupts Jesus' teaching. And she says, basically, why am I the only one doing anything in this house Lord, do you not care about that? Why don't you tell her to get up and help me? Now, obviously, there's two people she's directing that to. She's directing that to her kid sister, and she's directing that to her Messiah. Boy, self-righteous indignation Always takes us in the wrong direction. She's going to chide the Son of God. She's going to get onto the Messiah. She's going to try to redirect the Master. Hey, where in our lives are we prone to self righteousness? Where is that? What is that inner dialogue that you have and I have in the self-righteousness that the Lord might be saying today? You know, when you get there, you're so off track. The Lord loves us enough not to leave us there. He certainly loved Martha enough not to leave her there. I recognize sometimes we find busyness for Christ easier than stillness with him. For some reason, Martha just felt compelled to have this outward duty of expressing devotion to God rather than having an inward contemplative moment with him. So she, uh, she is preparing to give Jesus something and all the while, Jesus is wanting to deliver truths to her. Isn't that your life and my life sometimes? I just want to do something for him. I feel like I need to get this accomplished for him. And if I would just find myself busy and doing this, it would all be good. And all the while, Jesus is saying, I didn't want to receive anything from you. I wanted to give something to you. Can we just come to a conclusion? Jesus needs us for nothing. Jesus doesn't need us to do anything for him. It's not looking like he's clamoring, got to get something done. He's hoping somebody will get up and do it today. Instead what we ought to find out is Jesus wants to treasure into us his truth. Jesus wants to deliver his word to our truth, and as we receive his truth from that will come an adoring servitude to him. From that will come expressions of service that will just be natural from the truth. So receive what Christ has for you, in that moment And then just let your life be lived in the expressions of those truths. That's what he was moving Martha to do. Martha had not yet recognized there is a discipline to stillness before Christ that must be accomplished long before we serve and worship him. In fact, it's in the stillness with Christ that we will find our greatest opportunities to serve him. So in her rush to complete the task, she had little understanding Of just how close Jesus was to being complete with his earthly ministry. She had no idea that in just a few days Jesus would be hanging on a cross suspended between heaven and earth bearing her sin. She had no idea that Jesus would be crucified and then resurrected thereafter. She thought, Martha did, that She knew what Jesus needed the most, but unfortunately she was wrong. Jesus was actually longing to spend the final hours of his life with them because he had truths that he wanted to treasure in them. And then the rest of their days could be used in service to him. Serving the Lord is incredibly important, but listen to me. Sitting before him, hearing and responding to him That is what is critical. If there's one point that I want us to get, it's that from this text. That we ought to be reminded that our service unprompted and disconnected from God's word will burn away like wood, hay, and stubble when we stand before Jesus one day. It will have no lasting eternal value. In fact, many will say to him, Lord, Lord, did we not? And they will give a great expose of all the things that they did for for him. And he said, oh, you missed it. You're a worker of lawlessness. You didn't receive my word. You didn't trust in me. You didn't worship unto me. I don't know you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. So we need a daily time before the Lord, just quiet before the Lord. And in doing so, he will condition our hearts and he will temper our flesh and it will result in a genuine expression of worship and service to him. I'm just going to be completely transparent with you for this moment. I regret that by natural default, I'm a lot like Martha. Perhaps you struggle there too. Maybe it's our natural default is to stay busy doing something for Christ and others. And unfortunately, without realizing, I can often exchange that busyness for God for the intimacy that God wants to have with me. Well, it's just in our dialogue. How you doing? Fine. How's your day today? Great what have you been doing? Oh, busy. Just staying busy. It's just in the vernacular. As if we applaud each other to be in, uh, busy. But what Jesus is saying is that busyness, when it gets in the way of intimacy, it is thwarting what I really want to do in your heart, what I really want to engage you in. I- I'm just reminded in this text that Jesus doesn't need us to do anything. He is sovereign. He is omniscient. He's omnipotent. He is omnipresent. I think he can handle all things on his own. Jesus doesn't need us. On the contrary, we desperately need him. Can we just settle into that truth? Jesus doesn't need us to do anything, but we desperately need him to do all things. So the one thing necessary is for us to be at his feet in order to receive anything he's willing to give us that day. What a change in heart. When we don't rise up, Lord, what can I do for you today? But with less arrogance, we say, oh, Lord, what will you give me today? Let me just sit before you today. Let me open your treasure of scripture this word that you have written lord let me receive from you today and then from that i'm certain lord it will be that there will be things that will come about that i can exercise and and i can walk in its truth in this way well we we desperately need the lord don't we we need his word we need his spirit we need his presence we need his nature we need communion and counsel and conviction. So, my friends, the Lord Jesus is no more dependent upon our service for him than he, or the church than he was for Martha to serve him a meal on the cusp of him going into Jerusalem to save the world of sin, death, and judgment. He didn't need a meal. And yet Martha was busy making him a meal. Martha viewed her work as necessary, and she was indignant that Mary didn't see it quite the same, even ticked off that Jesus didn't see it the same. And as a result, that attitude robbed her of the joy of service. It caused friction with her sister. It deafened her ears to the word that Jesus was teaching. Now, listen, I want to make sure you're hearing that because, you know, you get three quarters into a message and folks start zoning out, so... Come back with me for a minute because I want you to hear this. Busyness will rob you of joy. It will cause friction with the people that you love the most. It will cause you to not hear the words that Jesus has for you. And it will stop the adoration and worship that you ought to be giving him. That's what busyness does. So a daily private time of worship a daily time that we get before the Lord to worship him, that is the antithesis of busyness. If you want to know how to stop being busy, this is the way you start it. You say, Lord, I want to sit quietly before you. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to try to serve you in some way. I just want to sit before your presence and read and engage your word and contemplate it with the spirit who is the teacher, and I want to receive the treasure. And in that will come great worship and adoration and even what you ought to be doing for that day. Now listen, Jesus loved Martha unconditionally, and he loves you unconditionally. He loves you so much that he'll reset the things that you're attempting to do in your own strength and way. He'll reset that, not let you stay at that place because he wants you to come to him where the blessings are really flowing. So here he's resetting Martha. He's saying, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. If you're one to underline in your Bible, if you're one to mark it, you might circle and underline and star right there. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion and it can't be taken away from her. So listen to this simple and profound truth. There is one thing necessary. So if you're anxious and you're troubled about many things in this life, Jesus says there is one thing that ought to take top priority in your life, and here it is, to position yourself worshipfully in the presence of Jesus and receive his word. So if you're anxious, if you're troubled, if you're busy, you can't get it all done, you feel like, at the end of the day, you didn't get it, to where you needed it to be, here's what Jesus said. Man, you missed it all day long. There was one thing that was necessary, one thing that was top priority. You've been doing everything else. You've been distracted and anxious over everything else, and there was one thing that I really wanted you to do, and that one thing is to sit before me, worship me, and receive the word that I have for you today. What is that word that you have for me today? Oh, let me just open the Scripture, and let me just read it. Let me engage it. Let me, with the pencil in my hand, read it, knowing that he's speaking to my heart and giving me the truth for my life. So Jesus says the same for all of us that he said for Martha. For me, he says, oh, Randy, among all the things that you're doing, preparing and preaching and planning and, and teaching and leading and pastoring and serving, there is one thing necessary. And that is every day, Randy Gunner, you get up and you position yourself before me with worship in your heart and you receive the word that I have for you. I don't think he was getting on to me, but I had somebody last week say, man, every week you talk about you and Kay sitting at the table and just having that time and being quiet before the Lord and reading the scripture, praying together. He said, man, there's going to be a day that I'm going to be able to do that. I thought, oh. God's got a word for you and me, brother. All the busyness of your life, all the anxiousness of your life, Jesus says, oh, there's one thing that is most necessary. And when you and I get there, when we get there, we'll figure out how we do that. You see, we say that we don't have time. But it's just the priorities are all out of whack. Man, I struggle there. I told you my default is to be like Martha. We struggle there. I think what Jesus wants us to take away from this text today is there's one thing that's necessary. Let everything else be a servant to that. Let every other priority be below that. There's one thing necessary. Everything else is less necessary. We view it altogether wrong oftentimes. So you'll find your most significant opportunities to worship in that quiet place with a quietened heart and your mind before Him. So position yourself there. I want to close with just four little thoughts. So sit before the Lord daily by prioritizing the time of worship. So the mornings work for us. Hey, there was a time in our lives, in the craziness of raising three boys, there was a time in our lives that mornings was a greater struggle than it is right now. Now, there was also a time in my life that the Lord said, no, 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 boy, you can get up early. And so he would call me to get up early. And he would take me to my closet where I put a chair. And I would close the door. And with just the word of God in my open heart, I would kneel at that chair and read and pray. And there's been those times. There are other times that we would just have to turn off the TV. No, no, you don't have to do that. Turn that TV off. Because God was calling my heart, calling my attention to him. You can reorient your life. I'm not saying that you have to do it in the morning, although the psalmist says it's great to get up in the morning to do that. The psalmist also says when you wake me in the night, I'm going to meditate on your word. You can can reorder the priorities when you recognize that there is one thing necessary. Now listen, this isn't just your preacher telling you this. This isn't your friend calling out to you, encouraging you to do this. I'm not trying to put a blanket of guilt on you. I want you to know the God of the universe says, hey, I've got one thing that's most important for you to understand. I want to be with you. I want to spend time with you. I've got a scripture that I want you to treasure today. And my spirit who has been given to you will be your teacher. It's one thing that's necessary. Secondly, not only do you prior, prioritize the time for worship, but plan that. So, have ta- planning the time, preparing the time, and proclaiming your intentions. What I mean by that is you've got to plan to make this happen. All right. you, you can plan to do all the other stuff that we think is necessary. So, we can certainly plan for this to be. What does that mean? Well, you might have your Bible in the place where you're going to be. You're going to have the place identified. Uh, you're going to plan to not stay up so late and you're going to plan to get up early or you're going to plan not to watch TV or you're going to whatever just make the plan and as you make the plan then prepare the place and as you prepare the place tell everybody in the house what you're doing. Now I'm going to tell you when you tell everybody in the house what you're doing everybody in the house is going to know when you don't do it and that's pretty good accountability. Tell your family I'm pretty sure that if you tell your wife and your kids, dad needs to spend 45 minutes with God in the mornings or in the afternoons or the evenings. Would you guys help me to do that? I think I'll be a better dad. I think I'll be a better father. I think I'll be a better husband. I think I'll be a better boss. I think I'll be a better employee. I think I'll be a better church member. Would you help me to do that? I want to sit before the Lord for 45 minutes. Now, maybe you got one of those in your house that's going to buck that. Just pull them aside. Remind them of how important it is that you sit before God and encourage them to do the same. Maybe, just maybe, over the next 10 days, you can start that in your household, encouraging them and you to be engaged before the Lord. And then number three, Ask the Lord to intervene. I'm not asking you to do this on your own. I'm not asking you to get the uh, wherewithal to accomplish it. I'm not even asking you to get the mindset right. How about you just ask the Lord? Lord, would you intervene in my thoughts and my heart like you did, Martha? Martha, Martha. Boy, if if the Lord says your name twice, right? Anybody say your name twice? Randy, Randy. Boy, you got my attention. So Jesus is saying to us, hey, hey. Now he's got our attention, doesn't he? Ask him to intervene like that. Just like he did Martha. Lord, I need you to help gain my attention. Call my name intervene help my thoughts to be different help my heart to be different give me a reset lord i want it i need it would you help me in this and he will and then consider the lord's presence is awaiting you this is a big deal matthew chapter 6 verse 6 when you go when you pray go into your room shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret You know what that's communicating to me? He's already there. You're not going to be in that closet alone. You're not going to be on the back porch alone. You're going to go with the intention to be with the Lord, and he is there in secret. And when you recognize that, the Lord is waiting for you. You'll rise up. When you recognize that, the Lord is waiting on you. You'll stop the binging on Netflix for 45 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, whatever, and spend time with him. And that, my friends, is personal worship. Recognizing who he is, sitting before him. Receiving. See, that's kind of weird, sitting before God. Oh, that's what they thought about Mary, too. She had no business sitting before a teaching rabbi. But yet she knew that rabbi personally. She knew him as the Son of God. She knew him as Messiah. And she knew he was present. She sat before him. So, Lord, with the truth and the reality that you have given to us in Scripture, the way you've revealed yourself so wonderfully and fully, the way you have called us to yourself to be saved, the way you have given us a new nature by your spirit, the way you treasured this eternal word in writing for us. Help us to every day be given to you, sitting before you, hearing, responding worshipfully to you. Let it be the one thing that we know is necessary. And we're, we're so taken aback by this world and, all of its affections and the way it just robs us of time. Lord, let us have this reset moment, like what you did with Martha. Help us, Lord, to think differently, to engage you differently. Help us to be worshipful privately. We pray that it would bring joy and praise and glory to King Jesus. Oh, How worthy, how worthy are you, O Lamb of God. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen.